Welcome to Rave Dad's Diary, the show that explores the globalization of electronic dance music from the perspective of a rural Alberta boy turned raver. I'm your host and resident Rave Dad, Paul Brooks. Rave Dad's Diary broadcasts on CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary at the University of Calgary campus and community radio station located on Treaty 7 land. I acknowledge the traditional territories of the people of the Treaty 7 region in southern Alberta, which includes the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Siksika, the Pagani, and Kaina First Nations, the Sutina First Nation, and the Stony Nakoda. The city of Calgary is also home to Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3. Hey, welcome to Rave Dad's Diary. Today, my guest is my dear friend, Shannon Hart. She's a social worker and a volunteer with Street Cats YYC, an incredible Calgary-based grassroots harm reduction collective We're going to talk about harm reduction in Calgary and catch up because it's been a while. But first, let's hear some new music from Prospa and Ketima. This is the track Close Your Eyes, and it's the title track from a new EP that they're dropping on Ninja Tunes Technicolor imprint, March 18th.
You're listening to Rave Dad's Diary on 90.9 FM CJSW. My name is Paul Brooks, and today I'm speaking with my friend Shannon Hart. Shannon is a social worker, a student, and a volunteer with Street Cats YYC, a grassroots harm reduction organization that aims to provide support to Calgary's vulnerable populations. Hi, Shannon. Hi, Paul. It's really good to see your face. Yeah, it's great to be speaking with you. We have known each other for quite some time, and I want to catch up with you a little bit before we get into the harm reduction discussion. When did we first meet? I met you when you were quite young. Yeah, I believe that it was actually um, at Beat Drop when it was on 17th Ave. So the Beat Drop music production and DJ school. Yeah. Yeah. You were an instructor there, or I believe you were just becoming one. And I was a part of the first music business course that you ever did there. And that I remember that so clearly because um, a lot of the things that you showed me in that, in that course, I still apply to, you know, me, like my musical career and a lot of the music that you showed us, I still listen to those labels a lot. So <laughs> that's, yeah. Awesome. Uh, I'm glad that you got something out of that program. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've had a friendship now uh, that has grown through our mutual interest in electronic music, uh, dance music culture, but also harm reduction. Um, So you were saying you're also an excellent DJ. And uh, uh, tell me about your... uh, adventure into harm reduction when did you first uh encounter the concept and kind of see it in action and when did it click in your head oh this is super embarrassing but i will of course be the one to like air this out right now but um the first time that i like understood harm reduction was actually when i was at events when i first turned 18 years old i was experimenting and you know under the influence of like alcohol or substances. And I just noticed that there was a lack of supports around me at these events. And there needed to be more supports for not just myself, but my peers that I saw around me. So my first exposure to harm reduction was actually realizing that there was a lack of it in these areas where there really needed to be more education um, for people like myself. So that kind of allowed me to explore a little bit more and dig a bit deeper to find these organizations. So it's kind of started with Dance Safe. Dance Safe is a huge one. And they were the first um, harm reduction organization that I started volunteer work with. Um, yeah, so that's kind of like a little bit of context as to where it all started for me. But um, I grew into a little bit of a career um, with harm reduction just because it became such a huge part of my life. Um, I started actually doing harm reduction outreach at Shambhala and at Base Coast and have kind of grown into where I am today where it's it's volunteer work, but it's also working with Calgary and like Calgary's vulnerable population um, through nonprofits as well. Like it's, it's very, um, it's very much, I get to see both sides of it, which is, which is great. Can you, that's really interesting. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you mean by both sides of it? I'm interested in that. 
Yeah. So I, I believe that, um, you know, there's been people using, I guess you can say party substances for a long period of time, but there's also been people using street substances for just as long of a period of time. And it's interesting to kind of see the kind of supports um, that are offered to both populations and um, to be a part of offering supports to both of those populations has has just given me a lot of purpose, I guess is what I'm, what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And, uh, you know, on this show, I think I've spoken to a few people who have entered into the harm reduction realm through uh, their appreciation of, of dance music and dance culture and the origins of dance music and uh it's it's uh it's it's a it's kind of a common a common theme for some people uh it kind of makes me think though about um comparing and contrasting what we consider to be uh acceptable drugs uh drugs with you know th- therapeutic potential uh oh these drugs are you know these drugs are softer these drugs are harder uh w- tell me tell me about that cuz that that makes me mad uh, uh, you know, what, what, what's it like to, to confront that, uh, where, where people have kind of a, this like arbitrary scale in their head about what drugs are quote good and what drugs are bad. Mm-hmm. Well, it's really interesting that you bring that up because what's coming up in my mind is just the fact that at these festivals that we, you know, you and I attend, um, there's these mass spectrometer machines where they can test substances on site. And they're so open with people about the substances that they're using and providing education and resources. But, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if we could have a mass spectrometer at SafeWorks or, you know, at any sort of um, agency where people frequent who use substances that are commonly dangerous? Um you know, it, it would just be nice to be able to see that same amount of um, care given, you know, to the individuals who are arguably, you know, using substances that are more likely to contain some of those harmful contaminants. And, you know, I think that the awareness of what they are ingesting should be so much more important, even for healthcare providers to be aware of just so that they know what type of response to provide as well. Um, with the street supply lately, there has been a lot of contaminants and um, dangerous adulterants that have made responding to overdose a lot more challenging. So, yeah, it's it's interesting to kind of compare the accessibility of those resources among these two communities. Now, somebody might be listening and they might think, well, then just don't do drugs. Uh, but I mean, you and I are starting from the standpoint of knowing that people use substances uh, yes. and it does not mean that they are any less deserving of love, care, attention, resources. It doesn't mean that they are uh, lacking intelligence. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. people that we love use drugs. And mm-hmm. uh, so just clarifying that. Uh, we're not going to get into d- d- defending that. Uh, uh, let somebody listening again, they might think, you know, oh, this this group of drugs is scary. And this group of drugs, I'd be OK if somebody used that kind of drug. Like, where does that come from? And how do we how do we kill that? 
Yeah, what's so interesting about that is that um, the drugs that people are are arguing that are harder and, you know, more dangerous and unsafe, often the people who become dependent on those types of substances are um, in a situation where they might have even been prescribed those types of medications. Um, And the ones that they may see as more socially acceptable are the ones that you actually have to go and seek out yourself through illegal means. So it's just, it's funny to point out those double standards a little bit. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's really hard to try and, and turn people away from their beliefs because I believe that people, um, they, they form their beliefs or values around a certain thing based on the experiences that they have. So I can't take away those ex- negative experiences that they've had that have made them form that belief about um, the way the substance users act. But I, I think that the more that you get to know individual people and individual stories, the more of an impact it has on on your, your beliefs around people who use substances. Um, so I really, I, I see the value in, in sharing stories and empowering people and, and just, you know, providing that key element of just compassion and empathy. I think that's a lot of what we do with street cats is just meet people where they are and, and find out what their needs are right then and there. And I think that if we can all just take take back those layers of um, stigma that we hold and just see a person in front of us, it really changes the, the type of interaction that you have. You're listening to Rave Dad's Diary on 90.9 FM CJSW. And I'm speaking with my friend Shannon Hart. And we're talking about harm reduction. And I want to talk now about Street Cats, YYC, which was actually the reason why we're, we're talking today i i sent uh, an email or i think i reached out on instagram where i, I first uh, got familiar with street cats yyc and uh, i sent a dm and uh they sent back a message saying that i could speak with shannon hart so it worked out perfectly but uh, let's talk a little bit about street cats yyc like i said i got into the street cats yyc world on on instagram uh, the graphic design and um, kind of uh, zine uh, aesthetic with r- really, uh, you know, DIY, uh, like graphic design style that's really punk uh, and communicates some very potent messages about harm reduction, about the war on drugs, about uh, people experiencing homelessness. Uh, it's it's incredibly impactful and it's gotten like so much uh, more traction over time as I think um, it really nails uh, the principles of communication, you know. Um, so I, uh, I'm rambling a bit there, but I'm a big fan of Street Cats YYC. How did you get involved with them? Yeah, it's interesting that you you bring all of that stuff up because those were all things that made me attracted to Street Cats as well. Um, I was introduced through the Instagram and I started messaging them right away, talking to them about ideas that I had and how I wanted to become involved. And then there was an International Overdose Awareness Day and there was a candlelit vigil that was held um central memorial park yeah so 
there was a whole group of us there. Street Cats had a booth and I saw that they were handing out fentanyl testing strips. So I just got into a conversation with one of the volunteers and I asked them who runs the Instagram and they introduced me to Allie and she is such an amazing human. I I love Allie so much and I admire what she does. She does all of that work herself um, all through her own research and her own means and graphic design um, skills. And she's inspired a lot of other people to start doing the same. Um, Street Cats is a very unique group of individuals. I've never felt so accepted and so welcomed and so, um, you know, sure of being involved in a group um, that aligns with my, my beliefs and I just feel like I'm with my people, you know, when we're doing outreach, it just feels so, so natural. And I'm, I'm very happy that something like this exists in Calgary. Me too, because we really need it. Uh, our provincial government is at war with substance users. Mm -hmm. Uh, we can talk a little bit about more, more about that (laughs) in a bit, but, Mm -hmm. um, I want to know a little bit more about the outreach that Street Cats is involved in because they are into mutual aid. They are on the street. They are dealing directly with people face to face and really doing the work that our government should be doing for us. But that's an aside. Uh, so tell me about some of the stuff that Street Cats does. Uh, just a few examples. Yeah, absolutely. It's just a peer driven group. Um created to serve a number of unmet needs, like with underserved populations in the community. I mean, on any given night doing outreach, I've done wound care. I've um, handed out food. I've provided resources, um, made calls, made referrals, um, even just providing emotional support or doing very brief informal counseling. A lot of the people who are out at the time that we do outreach, they're pretty vulnerable individuals because we do outreach pretty late. Um, So we've, we've handed out a lot of naloxone kits. We've woken people up who are asleep in um, sometimes strange places and just, just had conversations with them. And it's been really, really great. Um, being able to build relationships with some of these people that often don't have anyone at all, which is why they're, you know, out on the streets so late at night. So it's been really, it's been really great being able to, you know, bridge some of those gaps and providing dignified care for people who often don't get what they need through the resources available at this time. If somebody's listening right now and they're like super fired up, and they want to support Street Cats, what's the most direct way that people can get involved and support what you do? Well, if you head over to the social media, um, you could you could donate so that we could continue to provide these resources to Calgary's vulnerable populations. Um, we accept e-transfers at streetcatsyyc at gmail.com. Um, you can find all the information at the Instagram page, which is at street.cats.yyc. Even if you just type in streetcatsyyc into any domain search, you'll be able to find our social media platforms. And obviously, this is just a little bit of a brief summary of what we do, but you can find a lot more information about us over 
on those pages. Awesome. And I highly recommend folks go check out Street Cats. It's I am plugged into a lot of harm reduction social media, and I have been working in communications around harm reduction for over a decade. And I have to say that Street Cats is some of the best work out there of its kind for the way it communicates very important messages in a in an efficient way that really makes you think and it's just incredibly valuable you know so um yes uh reflection of why that information is being shared is because at its core we are just a group of people um trying to help people solve you know issues that come up in real life so we are a multidisciplinary team that you know utilizes each other's strengths to solve these real-time issues and then bring them to the surface and show the general public what some of these issues are absolutely and i mean it's not just um i don't think it's just information that's relevant to uh necessarily harm reduction or or substance use but um there's a lot of information in there about how to be a better human so uh i really uh, i really appreciate it we are based in alberta right now and uh it's cold today it's snowed a bunch last night it's you know it's minus maybe 15 celsius overnight so I, we have some unique uh, challenges here ge- geographically and with, with the climate. But I mean, also the socio-political uh, climate here is, is very conservative. Uh, can you talk about some of the barriers uh, and challenges that folks have in, in this region specifically? Absolutely. Um, a lot of it is um, a lack of resources or ability to access supplies. Um, I'm noticing that across the board, there's just a lot of um, barriers in terms of accessing um, clean supplies to use substances. Um, the can, second, Sorry, can thing, you just uh, unpack that when you say clean supplies to use substances? What do you mean? I mean, um, when people are when people are using um, street substances, often they will require um, certain tools to help them like ingest the substances, whether that be through inhalation or um, intravenous injection. So we need to be able to access supplies to provide for these individuals so that they can use those those things in a clean way that prevents them from um, having to share those things with their peers um, and even providing adequate environments for people to use those substances in a dignified way that keeps them safe given the harsh climate that we have. Um, Just working in the field and doing volunteer outreach, we've seen a number of individuals with extreme frostbite. Um, We've even had individuals that we know who have passed away in the cold. So the the lack of access to shelter is also a huge barrier. Um, Even locally in Calgary, we've seen a crackdown essentially on um, the, the transit 
shelters. They have been locking and closing certain shelters, areas where people have accessed um, a place to a place to stay warm um, previously. So that, those are just a couple examples of ways that locally people have barriers presented um, to them right now. And it, it seems to only be getting compiled by more and more things. So, yeah, I guess uh, uh, something that I saw Street Cats uh, be quite vocal about is a recent court ruling in Alberta, uh, 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 and it was a recent decision made by AHS to require folks entering their supervised consumption sites to present identification. And Street Cats, uh, you know, including a health... Um, I mean, in my mind, I can see all kinds of challenges there uh, with folks who are maybe struggling to meet their bare necessities. Uh, they might not have the their their wallet or their ID on them, for one. But uh, tell me a little bit about this, this uh, recent issue in the news and just kind of unpack what it what it means in real life for these people trying to access these services. Absolutely. Um, I used to work at a supervised consumption site in Lethbridge, and that was actually not um, underneath AHS. It was it was underneath a different regulatory body. So we were able to actually allow people to use, um, you know, their street names or their um, nicknames to sign in to access our services. And I, I found that people did, you know, did that a lot of the time and I totally respected their decision to do so because as long as it allowed them to come and keep accessing the services and allowed us to keep building that relationship, it didn't matter to me what they wanted to be called. Um, so at this point, having that, having that kind of environment and then having that taken away from them, I just feel like it will create some sort of fear or anxiety when it comes to accessing those services in the future. Um, you know, fear of further um, harm to themselves or, you know, a lot of people have shared a lot of sensitive information with those, those resources or those workers. And now they, they might have to attach all of that to their, to their name. And it just, I could see how it would, prevent people from accessing those services. Why is the government doing it? Why do you think? I I think it might have something to do with, um, you know, actually that's a really good question because I can't really think of in my mind any good reason to do it other than, you know, to, to be able to trace people back to, you know, the services that they've used in the system, uh, you know, just for statistic purposes or something. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Yeah. I have a conspiracy theory in my mind, but I mean, it feels like the government is trying to make these spaces less effective and, mm -hmm. uh, make it so that less people can access these services. It feels intentional. It feels cruel. Yeah, it that, that's what I think. <laughs> no, no, it absolutely does. And I mean, 
I work, I work in the field and I have worked in the field of addictions, mental health, um, for just about six years now. And over that period of time, I've seen nothing but, um, you know, restricted access and, um, and, you know, services being completely eradicated from communities like Lethbridge. And I've seen a lot of the outcomes of that. And there's been an extreme amount of deaths lately. And it's been really hard to continue this type of work. Um, just, just given the amount of, of death that we have experienced and loss and grief and, and services just keep getting, getting cut. So that's street cats is kind of a result of, of that, you know, it's, it's people who have a lot of energy and, and heart and passion towards, these issues coming together to do something that we actually feel like is creating a measurable difference. It's kind of our way of going against what the government is doing through our own means. I mean, we still have to track every single naloxone kit that we hand out. There's a lot of things that we have to do to be able to do what we do, but we, we, are unsanctioned. We don't have like anybody giving us funds other than the community. So we don't have anybody who controls what we do. So it feels very empowering. I got goosebumps. You, you saying that I, I, I love it. I love what you're doing. I love what street cats is doing. It's, I think it's the most important work happening in our city right now. Um, so okay. thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? It, it's I I don't I don't doubt that you believe that because overdose response is becoming the most common first aid response that I am I'm doing. Even when I was just downtown in Calgary last week trying to go get a piece of pizza at CPU, there was an overdose right outside of that Circle K in the Beltline, and they're lucky, you know, that I was there with the naloxone kit and I was able to respond because it was one of the worst overdoses I've ever responded to. And it just, things like that just keep happening more and more commonly. So carrying naloxone and being involved in any way that you can is just becoming such a huge, um, a huge talking point for street cats, you know, just trying to get people into that entryway of like carrying a naloxone kit. That's, that's, that's what we aim to help people you know, feel comfortable doing. You're listening to Rave Dad's Diary on 90.9 FM CJSW. My name is Paul Brooks, and I'm speaking with Shannon Hart from Street Cats YYC. Shannon, this has been a really awesome conversation, and I'm so happy to catch up with you on the radio. If somebody is listening to this and they're uh, ready to to get fitted with a, a naloxone kit. Um, yeah, I'm wondering if you have like just a couple of tips for somebody who's wants to do something. They're hearing this, they hear about the problem, they want to be a part of the solution. What are What's the most straightforward way to get somebody involved with Street Cats and supporting you? And just not even Street Cats, but the harm reduction movement. Yeah, I think that the main thing would just be to start educating yourself. Um, you can get a naloxone kit at any pharmacy for free. You don't have to provide any sort of identification for that right now. So that's great. Um, 
even within the naloxone kit, there is an instructional pamphlet. So you can, you know, just get yourself acquainted with a kit. Um, next time you're at the pharmacy, you can just pick one up and, and just start trying to, to be more aware of your surroundings and, and, and offering support to people who might seem like they are struggling um, in a gentle way. You know, nothing that we do is, is a superhero saviorism type um, gesture. A lot of it is just checking in and saying hello to people. And, you know, there, there's a lot of people who are experiencing mental health crisis um, more frequently with less spaces to kind of offer support to those individuals. So just trying to be mindful um, of someone's situation. And even if you don't want to get involved frontline with this type of work, just, just going on to the Instagram page for street cats and seeing where that takes you um, to other resources and, and just increasing your awareness and opening up these conversations with other people in your life. Shannon Hart, um, you know, I, I, I've known you for some time now and I'm just so happy to know you. And, uh, I love to hear about the path that you're on. It makes me really happy. And I'm just, uh, I feel really confident with people like you involved in this. Um, so thank you. Thank you to you and street cats. I love you guys. Oh, that's such a beautiful thing to say. It means a lot coming from somebody who I would consider a mentor of mine. So it's so great to catch up and to be able to speak to something that we both care about so much. It's it's felt like a really great conversation, um, very authentic. So thank you so much for giving me space to share these things. I appreciate it. Thank you, Shannon. That was honestly incredible. And I'm like, uh, like a little misty. <laughs> misty.
90.9 FM CJSW. You are listening to Rave Dad's Diary. The time is 1.45 in the city of Calgary. My name is Paul Brooks, and we are listening to Bon Iver and Flock of Dimes rework of Evernew by Beverly Glenn Copeland. It's from Evernew Reimagined, out now on Transgressive. Keep it going with the ethereal vibe. This is Earth Eater.
the reference desk. This is a wandering feature dedicated to sharing awesome music you might have missed. My name is Andrew Baldock, and today I've pulled out a few albums from a fantastic summery world-slash-folk artist from Vancouver Island. Shane Phillip hails from, as he puts it, the southwesternmost coast in Canada. He's a one-man band playing guitar, didgeridoo, bongos, and also sings. My listening, I found Shane Phillips' music varies between two different modes. One being fairly relaxed pastoral folk music with just a touch of reggae here and there that carries strong environmental and humanist messages. favorite is when he shows his incredible chops as a musician. a one-man band. At live performances, he's the only musician on stage, and he's rocking, or perhaps folking out, multiple instruments simultaneously. He plays a lap style of guitar, also known as the Weissenborn style, a variety of bongos, and has three didgeridoos of various lengths on stage with him. His utterly infectious grooves almost supernaturally compel audiences to get up and dance. It's really something to see, whether you're in a sparsely attended campus bar or at a packed festival. one of Shane's favorite parts of performing. 
From his website, he says, When they dance, it is a physical manifestation of what I'm playing, and it's such a powerful feeling. They just pass the energy right back to me, and by watching people move, I alter the rhythms and accents, and it's kind of like a conversation back and forth. Like a conversation, there are emotional tensions as well as emotional and physical releases. It is truly magical. Shane also happens to be the biggest hippie I have ever met. And I don't mean that disparagingly. Actually, I mean it more of a compliment. He is an extremely genuine, down-to-earth kind of guy. It's just an aspect of his character that I think is worth mentioning. Also, could you imagine walking around Dickens' pub barefoot? He did. I'm actually going to quote his website on what inspires Shane's writing. Shane's songs are about nature, both the wild he is so connected to and the human nature in all of us. Drawing from his own life and the experiences of those close to him, he writes on themes that envelop everyone, the perfect moments we've all had, how love can bring people together, and of the utopia we have the power to create for ourselves. But what inspired him to do music for a living is one of my favorite fun factoids. In an interview with the Nelson Star, Shane said he used to be a teacher, and a student said to him, Mr. Phillips, why are you a teacher? Why don't you play music for a living? You're really good at it. And I like to imagine Shane paused for a moment and shouted, You know what, kid? You're right! And he walked right out of there. But no, that's not what happened. He did quit the day job to become a full-time musician, though. He says it's way better. four albums, 2006's Earthshake, 2008's In The Moment, which is my personal favorite, 2009's Live at Baker's House, and Life Love Music from 2010. You might notice he hasn't put anything out for a while. Well, nowadays, Shane is a videographer running his own video production company out of Courtney called Island Soul Films. He's done outdoor tourism videos, music videos, event videography, and promotional work. Maybe one day Shane Phillip will pick up the dig again and shred some guitar across Canada. But for now, you can easily find all his music on most streaming platforms. This has been yet another episode of The Reference Desk.